This is episode 185 with ultra, ultra endurance athlete, the creator of the triple crown of 200 milers and holder of numerous fastest known times, Ms. Candice Burt. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and the episode you're about to listen to features tales of extreme endurance. I'm speaking with Candace Burt, an ultra runner who's created some of the most popular 200-mile race distances in the United States. You're going to learn about the challenges of ultra endurance, the logistics required, and the complexities and costs of planning a non-repetitive 200-mile race. Before we start, I do want to make sure we're all wearing the right size running shoes here. On this show, you can expect conversations between me and the thought leaders in the running industry. Coaches, performance psychologists, elite athletes, registered dietitians, authors, and physical therapists. Our goal is to give you the knowledge, the mindsets, and tools to elevate your running performances. Because when you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a wiser and more productive athlete. By the way, if you haven't yet, go to YouTube and join our community there. The Strength Running YouTube channel has more than 42,000 subscribers and hundreds of videos on weightlifting for runners, injury prevention, how to build your endurance, how to run with better form, and a lot more. Search us on YouTube, subscribe, and you'll see every video we publish on a weekly basis. And of course, if you've never visited our website, this is where it all began, strengthrunning.com. Since 2010, we've been helping runners level up their training, race faster, prevent more injuries, and get stronger. You'll find our award-winning blog, our free email courses, and the full library of training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. And stop the presses, we have a new sponsor today, one that I'm very excited about because for the last two weeks, I've fallen in love with their products. Go to beamtlc.com and use code JASON to save 15% on your order on anything they offer. I've been loving their Elevate Hydration lineup, including mixes for digestive balance, enhanced energy, and supportive recovery. And if you sign up for a monthly subscription, that's already 20% off. So your discount code is worth 35% off the first month. Go to beamtlc.com, use code JASON at checkout, and improve your hydration today. Our guest today is Candice Burt. She holds the FKT, or fastest known time, on the 171-mile Tahoe Rim Trail, the 95-mile Wonderland Trail, and the 20-mile Enchantment Lakes Traverse. She won the Delirious West 200-mile, which is actually 219 miles, but who's counting at that point, and placed fourth at the Hurt 100 Endurance Run in 2019. She also has podium finishes at countless ultras over the years. Candace doesn't just run ultra distances, she creates ultra races so you can do it too. She's the founder of Destination Trail Run that puts on the triple crown of 200 milers. She is an absolute delight to speak with and is currently getting ready to cover the Arizona Trail, which is 800 miles long. This conversation is one that will inspire you, it will encourage you to dream big, and it will help you realize that you can do a lot more than you think you can. Without further delay... Please enjoy my conversation with Ms. Candice Burt. Welcome to the show, Candice. Thanks for having me. So 
I've been looking forward to this, I think, ever since I started following your adventures on Instagram. You are living the trail runner nerd's dream, and yeah. I'm a little bit jealous of everything that you're able to do and all the amazing places that you're running right now. Um, when we were setting this up, you mentioned having to wait a bit because you were running the Arizona Trail, which I understand goes across the entire state. How long is this upcoming trail run of yours? Well, the the whole trail is 800 miles, and this is my third attempt at it. Um, so last year, I kind of got caught in the COVID bubble, and um, I started on March 15th, and it just, everything kind of went downhill from there in terms of, you know, the, the state of um, the world. So I kind of, I had to stop halfway through. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's a pretty long trail. Um, it'll be more like a through hiker style, um, than, than an, well, it'll be an ultra through hiker. Certainly a hybrid event, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. when are you going to start this 800 and you are doing the full 800 miles, right? Yes. Okay. When are you starting? This is so just such a big, crazy adventure for me. Yeah, I start, um, I'm set to start April 2nd. But I have a little bit of flexibility if I need an extra day or something like that. Um, so, but it'll be right around that date. Now, you mentioned uh, doing this. You've done this a couple times, or at least you have attempted it a couple times. Is there a particular meaning to this type of trail run or the Arizona Trail specifically? Are you doing it for a, a formal reason or just because it'll be a lot of fun? Well, I think um, I always start out with the idea that that something um, inspires me and and there's an element of fun. I think my idea of fun is a little different than most people, and it includes a certain amount of pushing and um, challenging myself. So, you know, fun is kind of uh, an interesting concept. But um, for me, the Arizona Trail has just been a goal to complete because it is something that's out of uh, my wheelhouse and kind of what I'd normally do. It's a little bit longer, but it's still short enough that I could hopefully do it in a couple of weeks, um, you know, 14, 16 days, ideally. So um, the reason that I've come back to it now several times is uh, it's just kind of taken more preparation uh, than I expected. And I think too, like, Last year, perhaps I would have had a finish, but, you know, COVID happened. And the year before, I didn't get to start out on the trail because uh, I got injured after doing uh, Delirious West 200 miler in Australia. And so I had like a month or two before, um, after I finished Delirious West, but before I started the Arizona Trail. And it was just like a, a tear in the muscle that just didn't heal in time. So I had to cancel it before. I got out here. That's awesome. Is there like an FKT that you might be going for in the Arizona trail or are you just doing it in, cause you said 14 to 16 days. If you do 800 miles in two weeks, you're averaging like 57 miles a day. That seems to me like a, like, a, like a tough kind of a thing to do. Is it challenging or is that something that you feel is, is very manageable for you? Well, um, I, I would love to get the overall FKT on the trail, which is 14 and a half days. Um, and then the women's supported record is 17 and some change. And then the women's self-supported, <clears throat> excuse me, is 19 and change. 
days. So there's kind of a range in there that I'm going to play around with depending on how the trail goes. But one thing I learned last year was that it's really important to do the amount of miles per day that works with a train that works with my body um, and sleep, getting enough sleep, especially in that first week. Because, um, and so I'm doing it self-supported. So I'm doing it the least amount of support possible this year. Whereas last year I had a crew. And one thing I noticed with a crew, there are so many benefits of a crew, but we had situations like many days where um, my crew would be like, hey, we'll see you in 40 miles, you know, and it's like, 5 p.m. at night. And so I have to run through the night. And so I wasn't getting like the kind of sleep that I wanted because it was kind of dependent on when the crew could meet and then when I could stop. And I was carrying a lot less. So I think that um, I'm just kind of curious to see how it'll go when everything rests on my shoulders. Those those tend to be the the routes or the the adventures that I like the most and that I do the best at. So it could take 19 days. I mean, it could take, uh, 20. Um, so if I, if I was over the 19, um, out, uh, 19 day record of Heather Anderson, then, uh, I still want to get a finish, you know, so I, I don't want to do anything or rush it so much that I miss my opportunity to get the whole experience. So it's kind of like goal one is to move, efficiently and quickly, but to have a positive experience and get to the finish. My coaching brain has turned on and you (laughs) having tiers of goals is just such a a great thing to do. So that's a a wonderful lesson for our listeners to take away. And, And I think the longer event that you do, the more important it is to have tiers of goals, just more things can happen, you know? Now you mentioned doing this 800 mile trail with the least amount of support possible. What is the least amount of support possible look like? Well, it's, it means, um, for a trail that's as long as the Arizona trail, um, it would be called self-supported and for what through hikers do. And that's a style I'm doing it in is we'll mail ourselves a few packages along the way. And there's, uh, there's actually quite a few spots you could mail it to, but there's 200 mile plus, uh, distances where you have to carry all of your supplies um, and 200 miles broken down into the kind of speed I'm going in is somewhere around three, possibly four days. So carrying enough food for that many days, um, as well as, you know, being out there for like a minimum of two weeks, you, you need to have um, safety gear. So rain jacket, rain pants, um, you know, very small sleeping bag and, and I'm going to have a very small lightweight tent as well. So I'm kind of playing with like comfort versus weight and needing to be able to move quickly. So there's, there's this really important balance where if you do get caught out there, you break your leg or something, you want to survive and it's not worth all the light gear in the world to not have <laughs> what you need to make it through. I, I have a family as well. So it's like, there's priorities. And um, I think especially being that this is my first real through hike, I'm going to play it a little safer, probably slightly heavier than if I had a lot of experience with these kind of things. So yeah, I'll mail myself probably um, four packages along the way. So not a lot, but um, there'll be some spots where I may or may not be able to uh, get some food at uh, a store or something. So when you run self-supported, 
you can you can basically resupply yourself, but you can't have somebody meeting you along the way um, or pacing you or anything like that. So I'll be solo the whole way and um, kind of picking up packages. And hopefully the dates will align with when like the post office is open. So I'm working on those logistics right now, but there's a lot that could go wrong. <laughs> yeah. Did you find a post office that's like right off the trail in rural Arizona somewhere? Yeah, exactly. I mean, for me, it's like, I'm definitely picking spots that are as close as possible. If it's more than a mile out, then it's not an option for me. Cause I don't want to add, there's some places it's three miles or you'd have to catch a ride. Um, and so I'm going to avoid all those kind of routes, but you know, there's, there's always like a backup plan. Like if I had to resupply, there would be a few points that I could. Yeah, I think the safety aspect of this is really interesting to me because I I couldn't imagine myself basically camping overnight for at least two weeks, potentially more, all by myself with all the gear that I need being carried by me. So, I mean, are you going to be like in touch with people every day just to make sure that you're feeling okay, you're doing well? I mean, what is the you know, I'm sure you kind of have like a phantom crew that is not with you, but is somewhere else. And that's thinking about you every day that is wanting to check in with you. How does that all work? Well, I think for this, um, I'll have a a live tracking link. So I have one of those little mini spot trackers, um, like the mini inReach, and I can send some texts via the inReach. Um, but I'll give that link, that tracking link to a few key people, And, um, and then, you know, if I stopped moving or something, you know, maybe they would come looking for me. (laughs) I don't know, (laughs) but there is an emergency button on that. I could always hit too. Um, I kind of like to, you know, it's good to have a backup plan, but, um, but I don't want to, uh, focus too much on, um, on that either. You know, if something were to happen, like, uh, I, I do have, um, my mom and stepdad live in Mesa, so, that's kind of, you know, a little bit more Southern Arizona, but I could always, you know, shoot him a text and, um, and probably get help within a, a day or two if it wasn't like a big emergency kind of thing. So yeah, some people will be tracking it, but I mean, I feel like, um, I'm definitely pretty experienced with multi-day stuff, you know, th- uh, two, three days out there. So, you know, uh, maybe a little bit more able to navigate and survive, you know, than your average ultra runner. (laughs) (laughs) Are there any uh, wildlife encounters that you potentially have to try to avoid? Because I know that would be like my number one concern as the city kid who's afraid of being out in the wilderness for too long. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, my biggest concern in Arizona, um, especially based on how many we saw last year were, we're rattlesnakes. You know, you got to keep, um, keep very aware on the trail. And usually what happens is you see one and you're like, Oh my God, that's right. Rattlesnakes. And then you're just super anxious about, uh, seeing one. So I'm hoping that, I mean, they'll be out there. Uh, hopefully I won't get bitten, but I mean, a rattlesnake isn't the worst snake to be bitten by either. So, you know, that's what I tell myself anyway. That's the worst thing. There's other dangers. You know, there's um, mountain lions or, uh, yeah, maybe mostly mountain lions. Um, There's javelinas. 
But those would be like, that would be a very rare likelihood of getting hurt by one of those. Yeah, I think so. I remember very clearly I was running in Australia years and years ago and uh, there was a huge red bellied black snake curled up in the middle of the trail in front of me. And I didn't see it until I was almost on top of it. And I kind of jumped up in the air and fell on the ground and kind of did the worm and rolled <laughs> rolled to the other side. And it was uh, quite the only time I've ever seen a snake. And it's like seven years later, and I'm still telling people about it. <laughs> <laughs> they have some big snakes in Australia. <laughs> yeah, Australia is like the one country where uh, you don't want to see any snakes because they have like so many things that could kill you over there. Um, I, I am a little curious about your gear for something like this. And and I know I'm kind of going deep on the, the Arizona trail adventure that you have planned, but when you, you know, you kind of said I'm doing this as a hybrid between kind of like comfort and safety and having a lot of light gear, you know, how much does your tent weigh? And, and, you know, what's the total weight that you're going to be carrying around every day? Cause it seems to me like that is, you know, super important for your performance and, you know, making sure that you can get through all those miles every day is, is not carrying around, you know, 50 pounds of stuff. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the tent sleeping bag, um, combo would be, um, maybe I, I don't have the stats in front of me. Um, but like maybe two pounds, maybe a little bit less the combination of the two. So like the tent itself will also be held up with with my um, lakey trekking poles. So I'm kind of utilizing like some of the gear that I'm going to have anyway. So I don't have like tent poles. Um, and, um, and then I'm just like, I'm keeping um, my gear as light as possible in terms of like, uh, I'll have a down jacket, but um, I'm using the Ghost Whisper. Um, I think it's uh, Mountain Hardware. It's the lightest, most dense um, down jacket you can get that that I could find anyway. There there may be something else now, but but that it really packs down. And one thing I've learned for my own self is that there are always times when I need a down jacket, even on like maybe a, a full day ultra when you're getting up high and on the Arizona trail, you get up 9,000 feet on Mount Lemon, you know, that's a whole different temperature sy- system. There's snow up there. Um, then you have, you know, it's a hundred degrees down in the desert. So you kind of have to have a lot, um, in Arizona. Um, the heaviest thing will be water. Uh, there's not a lot of water out there and there'll be circumstances where I have to carry enough for a day. Um, so I think, you know, I'm kind of thinking of it as like a very fast hike. There'll be more hiking when the pack is really heavy. And then at the times where it's light, I'll take advantage of that and move more quickly. Uh, but I'll be moving a lot of hours of the day will kind of be the technique, um, you know, possibly up to 20 hours a day. Wow. How much water do you need in a day? Considering you are going to be in Arizona, it is going to be hot. What, what does that look like? I don't know. <laughs> oh boy, I'm going to figure this out, right? <laughs> well, here's how I do it. I, I'm i not a very analytic kind of planner. Um, I'm also not a very heavy water drinker. I think that I'm pretty efficient in terms of how my body uses uh, fluids. I just kind of know that based on like seeing what other people consume and what I do. 
like I easily go on a 20 mile run out here, you know, in 80 degree temperatures and might barely feel like drinking any water, um, you know, at a running pace. Uh, obviously that compounds, um, over the course of, uh, you know, days and weeks. So it's really going to be important to rehydrate as much as I can. Um, I just, I just have, I'm just not the type to like break it down to exactly how much I'll need. And, and the route is so long that even if I tried to do that, it would fail. Um, because some of these water sources may or may not be there. I mean, to some degree, like going into this, what I have to do is, is be tough enough to say, you know what, I'm going to figure it out and deal with it as I go and adjust as I have to. Like there could be a section where I'm like, well, I better take it pretty easy because I haven't had water for 40 miles or something. It's funny you say that because I'm also a little similar in that way and that, you know, I could living in Washington, D.C. a couple of years ago, I could go out for a 20 mile run and not have water at all. And it's 85 degrees and it's humid and, you know, you're just losing a tremendous amount of water. And then, of course, you rehydrate a lot afterwards. And it always made me feel a little bit guilty, like I wasn't doing the right thing as a runner. You know, everyone says you have to stay hydrated. It's important for performance. And just a couple months ago, I had my first sweat test done. And I found out that I don't sweat very much. And I I've figured it out. That's the key. I just don't really sweat very much. And, and I don't have to feel guilty anymore. I don't, have you ever had a sweat test? Maybe you just don't sweat. Yeah, I mean... I, I, I think that's probably similar for me. I definitely sweat, but, uh, I think that what happens is like, I kind of, once my body gets going, so like maybe a few miles into a run, it feels like things just level off. My body's like, okay, here we go. And, um, and it definitely took some time to get to that point. I've been running for 20 some years now. And I think that the body, becomes more efficient in ways that um, maybe haven't even been really measured over time. Like if we were, if we were measuring athletes over the course of a 20 year running career, what would we find in how their body is kind of adapted to things? Um, so yeah, I, I would be curious to do it. Um, I don't seem to need like uh, to, to do a bunch of salt tabs or anything like that either. I don't cramp much. Um, that's very rare for me. Yeah, me too. It might be a function of just having a low sweat rate. You know, you don't lose that much fluid because you don't lose a lot of fluid. You're not losing a lot of electrolytes. You know, the, the other interesting thing about my sweat test was that I don't sweat a lot, but when I do sweat, I'm an extremely salty sweater. So even though that's true, it's probably why I've never, you know, the low sweat rate is why I've never actually had any, you know, big cramping issues or anything like that, especially with, you know, some of the marathons that I've done where that's a little bit more common. Now, you mentioned when we first started talking that you have a slightly different idea of fun than than a lot of other people. Uh, I want to go back a little bit. When did this start? Were you always someone who was interested in in going a little bit above and beyond when it came to your exercise and your adventures and the things that you like to do physically? Or, you know, you said you've been running for about 20 something years now. Uh, have you been running ultras for that long? No. Um, so I'm 39 as of last November and I started running in high school. So it's definitely been a while and, and it's been pretty consistent. Although I, I started out, um, in high school running, wanting to 
to just be a part of a team and a group. Um, before that, I had been um, a horseback rider and showing horses, and um, and it, that's a lot more of a solo sport even than running. <laughs> if you compare, well, at least if you compare that to um, running on a cross country team in high school. So I kind of switched over from horses to running and just found that I really loved it. Um, and so I would go to practice and then go home and do hill repeats. So I think I've had like a, a little extra motivation for a long time. And I don't think, I don't think I really knew what I was doing at that time. I, I just thought like, Oh, if you do more, you'll be better. And I've kind of learned that's not true <laughs> with training. Um, I mean, maybe up to a point and early on, but uh, it's usually a recipe for getting injured or overtraining. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've always just loved the outdoors and I spent a lot of time as a kid outside. Um, and I think that that translates a lot uh, into being an ultra runner and somebody who likes to explore. It brings me peace in a way, peace and kind of um, balance in a way that I think other things in life don't. So it brings me back to like what's important, you know, a cold glass of water or giving somebody you love a hug later, you know, and I think that ultras, um, ultras definitely make me feel like uh, it's, it's a way I can access kind of being that better version of myself. Yeah. I wanted to ask you about, you know, sort of what about running for days really speaks to you so strongly? And it seems like it's one of the things that you found that teaches you more about yourself. Um, and so, I, I mean, I'm curious, what does it feel like to be running at, you know, hour 35 of, you know, a 200-mile a, a event? Because most runners, even ultra runners, have not done some of the distances that that you have. And I'd love to dig in a little bit more to that, just the visceral experience of ultra endurance and, and such ultra endurance that, you know, it, it very few people have done what you've done. You know, um, I, I think I like getting to that, let's say 35 hour, 48 hour point, because there's a, there's a, there's a point at which that, um, for lack of a better word, like the ego just lets go and it's like, fine, you know, like I'm out of here, like enjoy yourself. <laughs> and I find that there's this like feeling where, uh, the, the difference between you and your environment becomes less and less and less. And you kind of merge into like being a part of, uh, of the, of nature rather than somebody who's observing it. Uh, and in hundred milers, I, I definitely feel like you still feel like more of an observer, more of like a, an outsider. And when I do the really long stuff, especially when I do it on my own, um, or like FKT style pushing, um, I feel like I'm really kind of a part of nature in a way that is, is hard to, to, for me to access, um, you know, in this modern life without those kind of time and distance, um, parameters. I mean, meditating can help too. Uh, but for me, like running is kind of a form of active meditation. For sure. I've been someone who've tried meditating, but I can't really ever get into it. Uh, but running for me is just that time where, you know, you just get lost in a run, especially if it's a trail run, especially if you're out there for a while. And, you know, a, a lot of the 
a lot of the stuff out there just starts fading away. And there is something really special about those experiences. While I haven't experienced the extent of them, uh, like you have, Candace. Um, <laughs> now, I'm curious, you know, you said you ran in high school. Did you then go and compete uh, at the collegiate level or no? No. Um, I think that for me at that time, competition wasn't something I enjoyed. So even in high school, I would get very nervous and I put a lot of pressure on myself. Uh, I wish that I could have done it without putting that pressure on. I think I always wanted to be better. Um, and so when I didn't reach, like when I wasn't as good as I wanted to be, um, I would kind of make myself nervous, uh, because I would push myself so hard and that was kind of, um, extra painful. So, um, I, I did go to college, um, for a couple years, but I dropped out and I never ran on a team there. Um, so I did run, um, just kind of to stay in shape, you know, like at that time running was more of a, a way to, to be like, to have the body type or maintain the body type I wanted. And, and I feel like that's really shifted um, now because it's more of a lifestyle getting outside and being a part of nature and a mental health thing than, you know, what do I look, do I look good kind of place. Yeah. And you know, how you look is almost just a byproduct of what you like to do all the time. And so now yeah. you're just doing it because you want to, and it's fun. Exactly. Now, if you, you didn't, you didn't run, you know, competitively, uh, at the, at, when you were in college, were you, were you doing like any sort of longer runs at that point? When was your first, you know, technical ultra, you know, anything longer than a marathon? Was it, you know, during those college years when you're in your early twenties or did you wait a while? No, I, I did wait a while. Um, I did my first ultra in 2010 so I was part of the wave of born to run inspired ultra runners. You know, the book came out and uh, I think before the book came out, I had some friends who were training for a half marathon and marathon. And I was like, wow, like that would take a lot of work in my head, you know, and I, I had done five K's and 10 K's, but I'd never thought like, I, I thought like for a marathon, you would just need this massive amount of training and, um, and then I, uh, met an ultra runner who she was doing a hundred mile race or she had done a hundred mile race and, you know, she would do these 30 mile training runs. This was probably in like 2009. And I was just like, what? <laughs> That's crazy. I was so impressed. And it was the type of thing where I was impressed and, and like, kind of curious, you know, if I could do it. And I think like we all meet those people, right. Who they hear about, uh, running these longer distances and it's not like just crazy to them. Like they kind of want to do it. So I had that like little thought and then I, I read the born to run book and, um, and so I was in my late twenties. Um, and, and I did a 50 K well, I did a marathon and that, um, was fun, but I kind of figured, well, 26 miles, like I can do a 50 K. Uh, so I jumped to a mountainous 50 K, the Orcas Island 50 K. Um, and you know, it had like six, seven, 7,000 feet of climbing. So I was beat afterward. Like I hadn't trained for a mountain, but I loved it. Like I fell in love. 
So I remember like crawling out of bed, like I had to roll out of bed and crawl to get some water and like some Advil because I was so beat after that and just somehow like still wanting to do more (laughs) or to be like, there was so much room for improvement, you know, that I was just like, okay, here we go. (laughs) What is it about runners? When we see room for improvement, we get so excited. Yeah. 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 It's that, you know, it's like, uh, it's the process of, uh, eliminating, um, our limits, you know, because I think limits are a lot like time, you know, it's a way we measure things, but it's really kind of a false, um, false explanation for the world and how our bodies work, you know? So when we start to see what's possible, it it's exciting, you know, when you realize that like, these lines that we see and these lines we set in the sand or these things we think are crazy, we're actually able to accomplish them usually in surprisingly short amounts of time. And so it just, yeah, I think it it makes us curious and, and inspires us. Some of us, you know, for sure. And speaking of inspiration, you know, you mentioned Born to Run. That book was also pretty transformative for me. Uh, I didn't jump into ultra ultra running like you did, but (laughs) it it was just one of those massively inspiring books because it was so well written. It included such a good story, but also like a nice mix of the science of shoes and the science of ultra running and barefoot running and some really interesting concepts. And so, you know, if there's any listener that hasn't yet read Born to Run, that is one of the best running books out there, even if you're not interested in ultras whatsoever. Uh, Now, Candace, you don't just run hundreds of miles uh, yourself. You set up races for other runners. Um, So I understand that you've created the first three non-repetitive 200-mile races in the United States. Can you talk more about these? Yeah. Um, I mean, don't get me started. It's, <laughs> this is definitely a, uh, the 200 mile races are a huge, you know, passion project of mine that kind of exploded in a way that I kind of, I knew that, um, well, I had this really good inkling that, um, people would want these kind of adventures, uh, at least with the first one, the Tahoe 200. Um, but the, the inspiration for it was kind of, um, spending a lot of time at Lake Tahoe, um, you know, this is the biggest alpine lake uh, in the United States, and it has a Tahoe Rim Trail that for, uh, totally circumnavigates it, which is 170 miles. And so as somebody who had gotten into um, organizing races uh, as a way to make a living, um, I had run parts of that trail and kind of just, you know, in my head thought, like, I wonder why there isn't a race all on trail, you know, that fully circumnavigates this lake. And so it kind of like kept tickling at my brain. And, um, in, in 2013, um, I just decided like, I'm going to see if I can create a route that could be permittable. And I had enough experience. I started organizing events in 2012. So I just barely had enough experience to kind of know what could be permitted and what couldn't. So I made this route and I went out there and I explored some parts that I hadn't explored. I was just so excited about it that I decided to put in for permits and um, made a big announcement about this new race. And it turns out a lot of people were really excited about the idea of running 
200 miles around Lake Tahoe. So it kind of ended up being 200 miles. It could have been almost like, I mean, give or take maybe 15, 20 miles. But I think that ended up sticking as a distance in my head. I've always kind of liked the idea of like distances that are, that are easy to kind of box up like that, you know, because I think um, one thing that I've been working toward now, um, now that I have these three 200s, is is normalizing the distance as a legitimate ultra competitive distance. So that's kind of, that would be like my hopefully claim to fame is that, you know, I want to help be one of those major players in making this a distance that people kind of strive for and think of when they think of ultras. Yeah. And what are those three 200s? You mentioned the Tahoe 200. What are the names of the other two that you have? Yeah. So we call it the Triple Crown of 200s. And it starts with the Bigfoot 200 in August. And that is a point to point mountain race. And it's probably the kind of craziest, hardest of the three in that um, there's a lot of elevation gain. Uh, It goes through lots of different kind of ecosystems as even from like um, you're going around major mountains in Washington, um, you're going through a volcano desolation zone of Mount St. Helens. So where the volcano erupted. So there's lava fields and where you're going through these huge rocks and um, through just dense forest, big, big river crossings. Like it's pretty intense, um, but it's really just, it's just an amazing route. Um, and that ends in this tiny little mountain town of Randall, Washington. So you literally travel 206 miles through, you know, from Mount St. Helens to Mount Adams to, to Randall, Washington. Um, so there's that race in, in August and then September is the Tahoe 200 fully circumnavigating Lake Tahoe. And then, um, in, Uh, Did I say that's in September? And then in October is the Moab 240, which is the newest 200 um, that I created in 2017. And that runs a full loop uh, from Moab, Utah, down south, uh, almost to Monticello and the Abajo Mountains, and then up through the LaSalle Mountains to finish in Moab again. So it just does this massive 240-mile loop through deserts and mountain ranges and um, it's become quite popular. So Candace, are these races being held this year? Are you going to be holding all three of them? Yeah. Um, this it's, uh, things are looking really great for permitting. And, um, I actually held the Moab 240 last October. Um, it went really well. You know, we had to have a lot of COVID mitigation in place, but, um, I feel like, the fact that we could do that last year in October, I'm really confident we can safely do it this year as well. And um, all the permitting looks like it's going through just great. So I was worried, definitely got a little worried in December, <laughs> but um, especially with like, you know, some of the California permitting and Washington permitting, um, they've, they've been a lot Washington and California have been a lot more careful, but also like California was having all those kind of breakout, you know, COVID cases and stuff. So now it's, it's definitely looking good with the vaccinations getting around at this point. Yeah, it should be really exciting. How many people tend to sign up for a 200 mile trail race, especially one that's point to point, which I must assume has more logistical challenges to it. 
Very true. Yeah. People don't realize that sometimes right off the bat, but well, I mean, this, this um, season of 200 sold out immediately. Um, and we've been selling out now for a few years, but uh, it's the fastest I've seen. And the most signups our wait lists are really long. Uh, I mean, we kind of almost need to cut the wait list off because so many of those people aren't even going to get ever get an invite. Um, but it's also really exciting because there there was a period of time there when I first created these races. The cost is so high for us. If we don't get enough runners, um, we lose a lot of money. So we had a few years where we did not get enough runners or it was like really close. We didn't really make much money. Um, and so now I think for us, we limit it at like 250 per race. Um, that's kind of max somewhere between two, 250. So that keeps it still intimate, but allows us to make sure that we can um, service like the aid stations and the runners in the way that we want to do and have that intimate one-on-one volunteer kind of staff interaction. And what are the big costs of having a, such a long trail race like this? Is it the permitting? Is it the aid stations? Because I know there's a lot of people who are like, you're just running out there in the woods. So like, what, how much does this really cost? Yeah, I mean, um, it's the cost of running a full-time business. Um, so, you know, without getting like caught up in the weeds of it, I would say that the biggest costs are the fact that I have... Um, multiple employees who work for me year round. And so, you know, they have to make a living wage um, and we can only put on so many of these kind of events. So we work full time throughout the year on uh, permitting, um, getting volunteers. You know, there's parts of business too, like marketing to make sure that you stay relevant and um, kind of get the word out to your runners um, permitting can be huge cost. It just depends on the year and kind of the permits that have to be gotten. Like uh, Lake Tahoe had an environmental permit um, that's still being processed and gone through because we're really hoping to get our five-year permit, you know, that costs like 50 grand, you know. And so there's there's things that, that you'll just get like a bill, you know, for 10 grand here, 10 grand there. 50 grand here, 50 grand there. We, um, we go full out in terms of like, um, Tahoe 200 has highway crossings. So we hire a company that puts up, you know, big signs that warn the drivers and there's special cones and placement of these signs that that company, um, they know exactly where to put everything. So we, we have to hire out. We have a lot of different contractors we work with to make sure these events are safe and uh, that the runners are tracked regularly, um, that food, that a very good variety of food is at different aid stations. So our aid stations aren't just like gels, um, oranges, and bagels. We have full-on food to order, burgers, burritos, and it shifts throughout the day, you know, so there'll be breakfast burritos and pancakes and um, and there's just quite a range, you know, of, of supplies and, um, and that requires us to have, uh, refrigeration units and coolers and, um, and then like our headquarters at each of these locations, there's fees with those. Um, and there's also like refrigerator trucks, uh, we transport our supplies to each location. So that costs thousands of dollars to bring these trailers to that place. 
um, and then to store them as well. So it's kind of hard. Like there's costs that just people just don't think about. Um, or for example, like, you know, we pay uh, a third of everything in taxes as well. So, you know, we're um, a large percent goes back into taxes, back to the country in taxes. Um, and, uh, you know, there's with a business, there's like, I have to pay for accounting and stuff like that. You know, usual business costs as well start to add up pretty high. Yeah. I think the complexity of these big races is often underestimated. I had the director of the Twin Cities Marathon on the podcast a while back, and he was formerly the director of the uh, CIM Marathon out in California. And just talking about permitting and all of the little intricacies of setting up a race. And of course, it's very different when you're in a major city as opposed to, you know, kind of like out in, in a super rural area. But a lot of the same complexities exist now, if someone is, uh, I was going to say crazy, but that's not the right word. If someone <laughs> is passionate enough to potentially be interested in a 200 mile race, one of yours, can they go somewhere to learn more about them? Yeah. Um, I mean, t- they, they could go to our website to learn more about the 200s that we offer. Um, and that's destination trail Um, we're actually going to have a really cool launch of like a whole new platform. That's really exciting, including, um, I think as soon as next year, a couple, at least one, but maybe more than one. And this is the first time anybody will hear this international 200s. So we're going, um, full on, like, you know, this is, this has kind of been our opportunity, you know, instead of like folding our cards during COVID, um, instead I decided, Hey, what can we do during this time when we're not working on the events? Cause we had to cancel so many last year to kind of elevate ourselves and allow us to offer a whole new range of, of kind of options to runners. So I'm really excited about some of these new ideas. The website's going to be completely revamped and we're planning to do this launch um, and include the opening of the international event or events um, in June. So it could, it could happen in July, but right now it's, it's all coming, coming right along, but I'm really excited and also uh, a trail series um, and hopefully a 200 in Tucson, Arizona, which is where I am right now. Wonderful. Yeah, I think you are going to be making a name for yourself as the person who's made the 200 mile distance an official <laughs> distance and a popular famous distance. That's very exciting. By the way, what is the world record for 200 miles? Is there an official record for that? I don't think so. No, I, I don't think there is. Uh you know, I think these are the kind of things that are going to be really exciting to see develop out of um, kind of what I'm creating is going to take on a whole life of its own. And you, you probably already have seen other directors coming out with longer races or their own 200s. And that is really exciting to see because I think that, you know, as the demand keeps um, going up, you know, there's going to need to be other directors who are willing to put in the time and work to create kind of unique, unusual 200s. Um, and I think that at least the the folks who come run mine, they kind of want 
um, an adventure, you know, not necessarily just looping around somewhere for days on end, but there is also like a need for those kind of races. So it'll be cool to see. And, you know, we're already seeing like some of the developing of like these new ideas people are coming out with and, and runners wanting to, to see like where they can go with it, you know, and, and people say, well, what's next, you know? And, and I think for me, it's, um, it's continuing to develop this particular distance, um, people can go longer, but for me as a director, um, I think sort of showcasing different areas um, and allowing that similar style adventure safely in other countries and, you know, a few other spots in the U.S. Yeah, and I think, you know, my my personal view is that after most of us have gotten back to somewhat normal life here, I think there's going to be a big demand for those kinds of adventures, those kinds of experiences any big long-term experience, you know, something that's not like going to the movies for the afternoon, but you know, you're doing a 36, 48 hour, maybe longer type of long weekend experience with other people. I think there's going to be a lot of demand for that because I think a lot of people just need to get out. Yeah. They need to have fun. They need to interact with other people. And, and I think especially with the running community and with everyone just looking for challenges and new challenges, I think there's a good opportunity there to get a lot of people into those longer events. Yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, also we're seeing on an international level, um, not just in the U S but other countries, um, you know, those folks are really interested in doing these longer races and, and really like, um, Tour de Giants in Italy, you know, that's kind of where some of this started and some of the inspiration, um, even for doing the Tahoe 200 came from, you know, these international kind of adventures. And so I think there's people, I mean, we have the whole world out there um, who, who's going to, you know, when it's safe, want to get out and travel and, and see new places. And I think too, I mean, even this year we can offer really safe experiences, um, safer probably than going into, you know, certain grocery stores and the like um, in the outdoors kind of experience, you know, keeping these events small, intimate, um, and, and having all those safety procedures, like what we did at Moab in October in place. Yeah, for sure. And the fact that you're out in a rural area just makes it even more safe. You know, you can take even more precautions. It's not like you're, you know, on city streets and all that. Candace, this was so much fun. And I really appreciated learning about this world, a world that I don't know too much about. Uh, ultra running is such a fascinating and, and beautiful sport. And I, I think you've given ultra runners more of what they love. And uh, before we wrap, I want, just want to encourage our listeners to follow you on Instagram, run Candice run, or check out your personal site at candicebert.com. And all the different races you organize, the site name was destinationtrailrun.com. Candice, is there anything else that you'd like to tell us about these enormously uh, difficult and, and long races, these adventures, these, what I would call experiences, things that are just what I think are more than races. Yeah. I mean, I, I think people are attracted to this. Um, the kind of the, the thing that people don't expect to get out of these kind of distances, cause it seems like such a physical mental thing is kind of that spiritual realm, which to me is like, 
um, all this unknown that we don't know about. For some people, you know, the spiritual is, is a religious thing. Um, but I think that when you get out in nature for that long and you have that time um, and you're pushing your body, you see things and you see realities that may or may not be there. But it makes me wonder about the true nature of reality. And I think that there's a certain amount of exploring we can do through the physical realm that allows us to better understand what really might be out there. It's the same with like exploring our limits. And I think 200 is that kind of fine line distance where we can still fit it within our lives in kind of a reasonable way. Even if it sounds like totally crazy to the listeners, we can still fit it into, into our lives, but it's, it goes beyond that hundred mile mental experience into this like realm um, exploring the spiritual and kind of what exists outside of the norm of our everyday existence. So like we get into, you know, people are hallucinating out there and seeing like you walk by a tree and it's a, you know, there's a human in it and it doesn't change back to a tree. And it's kind of this wild experience of um, this exploration that you can kind of have that's still relatively safe, <laughs> you know, in, in the, in the environment that we provide anyway. Yeah. And this certainly reminds me of Born to Run describing some of the hallucinations that, you know, those <laughs> ultra runners were experiencing. And, you know, it's, it's definitely one of those things where you're like, well, I can do mushrooms or I can go run 200 miles, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and both have these wildly out-of-body experiences. <laughs> well, I guess that's our new tagline, right? <laughs> I could do <laughs> mushrooms or I could do this. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I'm glad that we could have a productive uh, uh, branding, uh, brainstorming right now. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like it could it could be uh, a fun new tagline for our business. <laughs> yeah, or you could set up a separate business where you do both at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think there's a need for... Uh, the modern human to have like that kind of spiritual awakening, like physical spiritual journey. And I think that ultras, even shorter ultras can give us like a taste of that. But for me personally, like having done lots of different ultras and also having done the 200 mile distance, I think there's this ma it's magic number where we can kind of access things that we don't access in the hundred mile distance. Awesome. Well, Candace, thank you so much for making the time. I had so much fun talking with you and I hope our listeners at least open their minds up a little bit about some of these longer races. And if they do want to dip their toe in, they, they know where to find you and what you offer. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. There we have it, everyone. Thank you for listening. And a big thanks to Candace for making the time to talk to us about these wild adventures of hers. I hope that as the racing season picks up this year, you set some big goals, and this episode inspired you to dream even bigger. If so, a review on Apple Podcasts is so appreciated. Finally, don't miss our sponsor, Beam, and all they have to offer the running community. The two products I'm enjoying the most right now are their Elevate Hydration Line and Dream, their Sleepy Time Mix. The Elevate Hydration options include Balance, and that has prebiotics and probiotics for a happy gut, Energy, the small amount of natural caffeine, and recovery with collagen and amino acids. They're low in sugar. I love the taste of all of them, but especially the watermelon flavor, which is their energy mix. It tastes like watermelon bubblicious, a real flashback to my childhood. And as a bonus, I love that they use responsibly sourced ingredients. 
Now their dream product is very different. This is a powder that tastes like hot cocoa and it helps you get a better sleep. It has THC-free CBD, melatonin, magnesium, L-theanine, and other compounds that help you get more restful sleep. And I don't know if you know this, but I can have sleep issues. Sometimes I can't get to sleep because I'm just thinking about too many things, or more commonly, I actually wake up in the middle of the night and then I just can't really get back to sleep, and I might be up for two or three hours. Dream is helping me sleep more soundly, get more hours of restorative sleep, and is making me feel better throughout the day. They've sold over 1 million servings of Dream, and I don't want you to miss out too. Use code JASON, which is not case sensitive, at checkout at beamtlc.com to save 15% on your order. And couple that with a subscription, your first month savings will be 35%. Sleep better, recover faster, what's not to love? And I think anything that can help you better absorb your training, recover from it, and then adapt to it is something worthy of your attention. Go to beamtlc.com and use code JASON to save 15% today. That's our show today, guys. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of our community. If there's anything I can ever do for you, don't hesitate to send me a note at support at strengthrunning.com. Until next time. 